0: Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at borough.com slash ACAST. That's borough.com slash ACAST. borough.com slash ACAST.
1: Yesterday, 12th January 2022, Gardy from Tullamore Garda Station attended to an incident following a call from a member of the public.
2: It is every woman's worst nightmare. Whoever is responsible for this will face the full rigors of the law. From the team that brought you the trial of Lucy Letby. This is the trial. Ashley Murphy.
3: On the 12th of January 2022, Ashley Murphy, a schoolteacher in the Irish town of Tullamore, was murdered, stabbed 12 times in the neck along the Grand Canal. Her funeral was attended by thousands of people.
2: The impact of her death, not just in the town and the country, but across the world, was profound. Her name is Aisling, were the words emblazoned on banners at the vigils which took place all across the world. Her death became yet another symbol of the senseless violence that some men perpetrate on women.
3: Joseph Pushka was her killer. A jury in Dublin today made that decision after a 16-day trial and after just two hours of deliberation. He had denied the charges against him, but the jury agreed with the prosecutor that his defence was nothing more than a cock-and-bull story.
2: I'm Nicola Byrne, Deputy News Editor for The Mail on Sunday in Ireland. I've been in court every day, reporting on the trial as it happened.
3: And I'm broadcaster and journalist Caroline Cheatham. Today, we're here to bring you the verdict in this trial and examine every detail in this case.
2: This is the trial, Ashley Murphy.
3: At five past two today at Dublin's Central Criminal Court, Joseph Pushka, a father of five, originally from Slovakia, was found guilty of the murder of primary school teacher Ashlyn Murphy.
2: As the verdict was delivered by the jury of nine men and three women, after just two hours and five minutes of deliberation, there were tears and then applause in the courtroom. And the benches that have been filled with Ashlyn's family since the trial began 17 days ago breathes a huge sigh of exhausted relief. Then Aisling's ma'am Kathleen held aloft a framed a 4 size picture of her daughter. She held it up towards Joseph Pushka and she told him, you're a monster. And Judge Tony Hunt said there was evil in the room. Outside the court, Aisling's partner Ryan and her brother Cahill gave their reaction to the verdict.
1: I would like to take this opportunity to express our deep gratitude to all of our family, friends and community for their unwavering support since our Ashling was stolen from us 22 months ago on the 12th of January 2022. From day one, the outpouring of love and support was felt in abundance from the Irish people, both on a national and international level, as they stood in solidarity with our family to both mourn the loss of our beautiful, talented Ashling and to condemn gender-based brutality with visceral repulsion. Ashley was a vibrant, intelligent and highly motivated young woman who embodied so many great traits and qualities of the Irish people and its communities. Her life had a huge impact on so many of those around her and she was the epitome of a perfect role model for every little girl to look up to and strive to be. She was not only an integral part of our family but she was also a huge shining light in our community, a community in which, year in, year out, she gave back to as best she could Words cannot express the gratitude to all members of Ingarda Siakana who conducted and pieced together a robust and thorough investigation. We wish to formally thank the prosecution legal team, Justice Hunt and also our family liaison officers, Sergeant Lucy McLaughlin and Detective Garda Alan Burke. We'd like to also thank the victim support at court team who are always there for us, always waiting to help us at any given moment. We would like to
4: also thank the members of the jury for reaching this verdict. Sitting through the harrowing evidence of this trial was not an easy task and we'll be forever grateful for their patience and resilience throughout this incredibly difficult process. Ashley was subject to incomprehensible violence by a predator who was not known to her. While we do not glory in any conviction, we recognise the importance of holding accountable those who would commit such terrible atrocities. The judicial process cannot bring our darling Aisling back nor can it heal our words, our wounds. But we are relieved that this verdict delivers justice. It is simply imperative that this vicious monster can never harm another woman again. While we respect the role of the media in providing accurate updates and information for the public, we are asking here now that all media outlets please, please respect our privacy at this time as we continue to process and grieve the loss of our darling Ashley. Thank you.
3: Day after day, this family have sat respectfully in this courtroom with a strength, resilience and courage few of us could imagine we would possess if we were ever to be in their shoes. They've heard the most appalling evidence about what happened to Ashlyn that day. We actually have no idea how much of that information they already knew or how much the guardie had protected them from. But because they've been put through the horror of this trial, this trial with the flimsiest of defences, and there really is, Nicola, no other word for what we've witnessed, this defence was utterly flimsy. Because of that, every moment of Ashlyn's suffering, of the violence inflicted on her, of the utter senseless depravity of this crime has been laid bare. For this family, they had to be there. For her, for each other and to see justice done in this courtroom today. But what they learned during this trial, they can never now unlearn.
2: Yeah, Caroline, they have to live now every day with what they heard during this trial because Joseph Pushka, the man who did this, the man who invented the most nonsensical of stories. That's what uh, Justice Tony Hunt called it today. He said his story was a nonsense, but he invented this nonsense to account for the mountain of evidence against him in this case. And of course, he did this because he knew his rights.
3: Yes, he did. We found out a lot about Joseph Pushka's rights during this process, and we'll tell you more about that in a separate episode that we're going to bring you tomorrow. But in a nutshell... He knew, no matter how poor, unbelievably and frankly laughable his defence, he had a right to it. He had a right to this trial. He had a right to put the family of his victim through yet more horror to make them relive the very worst time of their lives.
2: Yeah, that's right. But but what about Ashley's rights? It, what about the rights of every woman to walk the streets safely, to go about their lives at whatever time of day without fearing who's behind them, who's in front of them, who's across the road or hiding behind a bush or whatever it is in an alleyway or in a taxi? You know, the vigils that took place in her name, not just here in Tullamore and across the country, but across the world, demonstrated the strength of feeling Not again was what they said.
3: Nicola, you and I attended several days of legal argument, which took place over two weeks before this trial began. Now, because the jury weren't present for those legal arguments, we've not been able to explain what happened there, but we are going to do that in some episodes that we've got to come. But during those arguments, the judge, Tony Hunt, commented that the trial process is never really about the victim. It can't be really, he said. It's got to be about the accused. That is the very nature of it, he told us. Well today we are going to talk about Aisling. We're going to talk about who she was and what she meant, not just to the people around her, but to everyone whose lives she touched. We're also going to talk about what her death means, what this verdict means and what kind of a light this trial has shone on the legal system.
2: Welcome to episode nine. Her name is Ashling.
3: Ashlyn Murphy was just 23. She had her whole life ahead of her. So much left to give to the world were the words of her parents, Ray and Kathleen, in an interview they gave in the days after her death. She and her partner Ryan had been together for almost six years. They would plans for the future. She dreamt the two of them would buy a plot of land one day and build their own home. She was a teacher, an accomplished musician, a runner. She was a daughter, a granddaughter, a sister, a partner and a friend to so many. In Ireland on January 12th, 2022, she became another woman whose life was extinguished within a matter of minutes at the hands of a man. She'd just started in the job the previous September at Knave Kill in Durrow, County Offaly, having graduated from teacher training college in Limerick that year. And she was teaching first class there. That's a bit like year one in the UK. The children were aged about six and she loved her job and the pupils loved her.
2: Yeah, she'd bought a Fitbit the previous November and she told friends that her New Year's resolution was to exercise every day after work. And that's how on that bright, sunny winter's afternoon, she came to leave her school at 2.37pm uh, and she drove to Tullamore and she parked at the Dangan Road car park. She parked her small little red SEAT car, she got out of the car, she crossed the footbridge leading to the canal towpath at 10 to 3 we now know it was the first sunny day after a spell of stormy rainy kind of dirty January weather and the canal was busy with walkers, joggers cyclists, people keen to get out while they could while it was dry Um, among the many people there that day was a little boy being pushed by his grandmother on the tricycle he'd got for Christmas so you can probably imagine the scene
3: We'll never know if Aisling was running along the canal that day or whether she was strolling along in her blue Nike trainers, her pink bobble hat pulled tight down over her ears and her short navy jacket zipped up high against the cold. It doesn't really matter. She'd finished teaching for the day and she wanted to do some exercise. She was probably power walking when she put that Fitbit to use as she promised herself back in November that she would. And we'll just remind you again that this was broad daylight on a busy canal path in the town centre. And as we said, she'd parked up, she'd locked her car, she'd made her way down to the towpath. And Nicola, you walked us through there, the sort of minute by minute of what she'd done. And we know all of that minute by minute because we saw it on the CCTV images which were beamed into the courtroom. You know, those images, those CCTV images of people walking around, doing their normal thing, running, jogging, shopping, going to the post office, going to the pub, going for lunch, whatever they're doing. They're normally incredibly innocent. Um, But in this context, in the context of them being shown to the court that day, they were utterly haunting and just achingly sad, weren't they? Because they were the last moments of Ashlyn's life.
2: Yeah, Caroline. And there was one still in particular, which was the last image that was taken of Aisling. And, you know, despite the black and white graininess of that image, it somehow still manages to capture her youth and her vitality. This young woman striding out confidently. Never imagining, you'd have to think, for a second of the horror that was about to befall her. She wore her electric blue Nike runners. She had on dark leggings. She had a tight navy zipped up jacket. And she had a white sports top of her local club where she played sport. And as you said, she had her pink bobble hat on. Now, the next time her family saw all these clothes was when they were held up in clear plastic evidence bags in court, some of them heavily blood-soaked. And that moment was really too much for her mum, Kathleen.
3: Now, we know that the CCTV cameras captured the moments that she walked down the path, but they don't capture the moments of when she's on the path. So once Ashton was on the canal path, she was effectively out of sight of those cameras. They didn't capture her as she walked the 3k along the canal. They didn't capture her as she turned back to start the walk back to her car. And they didn't capture the moment that she came upon Joseph Pushka, who was also on the canal path on his black bike. The bike, he said, had gone missing two weeks before yet another lie, according to the prosecution. It also didn't capture the minutes that followed when he stabbed her to death. Those awful minutes weren't caught on CCTV, but they were caught, Nicola. On her Fitbit,
2: yeah, indeed they were. That data was explained in court by Detective Garda Kieran Byrne. So the device recorded her setting out on her exercise at fourteen fifty one. She turned west first from the car park where she left her car, and then she crossed the footbridge and she turned east back along the canal. At fifteen sixteen, the Fitbit recorded her turning back on herself again, and by fifteen twenty, she'd already walked three kilometers. So it probably wasn't a run. Maybe it was like a, a fast power walk. A minute later, all the readings began to go haywire. Ashleen's heartbeat and her GPS location became erratic and volatile. That's how it was described in court. So at 1521, the device no longer recorded Aisling going east or west, but instead the, it was moving around, swaying from naught to 360 degrees. And her heartbeat at that stage began to drop too.
3: Yeah, and just to put some context around that, when Ashlyn started her walk, her heartbeat was at 100 beats per minute. Now, that raised almost immediately to a consistent 120 beats per minute for the duration that she was doing her walk. And at 15.21 that day, her heartbeat begins to decrease sharply. It falls below 100 beats and then below 80 and then below 60. And then her heartbeat increases slightly at around 15.27 p.m., Then at 15.31, the device no longer records any heartbeat. So in just 10 minutes, her life was snuffed out by Joseph Pushka.
4: Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like, what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially, no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too.
3: So we know a bit more about Ashlyn and her death and the impact it had not just on the town of Tullamore but on the country and on the world. We also know what Ashlyn had been doing in the hours before her death. She'd been teaching six-year-olds in the primary school. What do we know, Nicola, about what Joseph Pushka was doing and what do we know about him before he arrived in Dublin and then when he did arrive in Dublin and set up home?
2: Well, Caroline, we know he's a father of five we know he's originally from Lusivna, which is a tiny village of less than a thousand residents in Slovakia. It's in the footholds of the high Tatras Mountains in the north of Slovakia. We also know he's of Romani Gypsy descent, and that's because his defense counsel Michael Bowman mentioned that during the trial, and he has two brothers. He moved to the capital Bratislava when he was 16 and then he went to work in Prague in the Czech Republic before arriving in Dublin in 2013, he said. By then he was aged 23 and he was married to Lucia and they had two young children. Other members of his extended family, including siblings and his parents, they also came to Dublin too at that time. At the time of his arrest, one local man who knew Joseph Pushka and his family back in Slovakia told reporters his family had moved to Ireland for what they called a better life. In 2015, he moved to Tullamore in the Irish Midlands, about 100 kilometres from Dublin. And in January 2022, when he murdered Ashley Murphy, he was living in a five-bedroom house with his wife, and at that stage, Caroline, they had five children. Yeah, we know
3: that he wasn't working, don't we? He said he'd previously worked on building sites, but he'd had an accident and slipped a disc in his back. So he hadn't been able to work. And he also said that he couldn't do sports anymore either. He liked to play football and to jog, he said. But he couldn't do that because he was now on painkillers. So he couldn't do his exercise anymore or do his job. We also know he said he liked to cycle on his bike and he said this was a way he was trying to get fit again. And this was his really distinctive black bike.
2: Yeah, Caroline. So this was a Black Storm Falcon bike, which had these very distinctive bright green spokes on it. So it was very recognisable. And of course, it was the same bike which was dumped in the brambles at the side of Ashley's body. It was the same bike Joseph Pushko was seen cycling around Tullamore on. And it was the same bike he told police had been stolen two weeks before. Another fabrication, according to Amory Lawler.
3: Yeah, crucially, Nicola, it was the same bike he was riding in the hours before he attacked and killed Ashlyn. On that day, we know he left home in Muckla at about 11.30 in the morning. That's about eight kilometres from Tullamore. And he said he was cycling that day, not just to get fit, but also to find his brother who was at the dentist with his wife. Another lie, according to Anne-Marie Lawler for the prosecution, because we know he was cycling that day to find a woman to kill.
2: Yes, Caroline, we know that he followed at least two other women that day. The first woman he followed was a woman called Beata Borowski. She She's a Polish national who'd been living in Tullamore for some years. She was completely unaware of the fact that a man was cycling slowly behind her in broad daylight in this, you know, mid-sized, Irish town in the Midlands. He was cycling behind her. He had one hand on the handlebars, the other in his pocket. We now know that he probably had a knife in his pocket at that point and he was following her as she went about her daily business in broad daylight. She was actually going to her local Tesco to do her grocery shopping.
3: Yeah, the CCTV images then show that he gave up on Beata and he turned his attention to another woman. This was Anne-Marie Kelly. Now, like Ashlyn, she is a teacher and she was out that day with her dog, Joey. Her evidence to the court, actually, of how close Joseph Pushka was to her as she walked through the town near to the McDonald's and then down to the canal was chilling. I mean, at one point, he was right by her left shoulder You know, it didn't look on the CCTV and she said this to the court that he was doing this in any way, secretively. He was openly stalking her that day. Now, she considered crossing the canal to get away from him, but she wasn't sure how safe it was for Joey the dog. So she just ran to the next bridge along to escape
2: him. It was after this that he came across Ashlyn, who was more than three kilometres into her exercise between Digby Bridge and the N-52 flyover. You know, we have to wonder, was she also worried about him? Did he look suspicious? Was he behaving oddly? Did she even see him or did he come up behind her? It seems more likely that he grabbed her from behind, that he pulled her into a ditch and then he stabbed her. And
3: the brutality, Nicola, of those stab wounds severed her voice box, which meant that she couldn't cry for help. Not even when two women came upon her, they saw her being held down in the ditch, in the brambles, by Joseph Pushka. They were standing only metres away from her as she fought for her life, but she couldn't make a sound and the only desperate cry for help was a sort of scissor kick of her legs. She was using all her might and using her body to kick as a cry for help. But by then she was too badly hurt, bleeding so badly that it soaked all of her clothes
2: right, Caroline. And by 1531, Ashley Murphy was dead. And then Joseph Pushka fled. Initially, he hid in a ditch not far from the ditch where he killed Ashlin, And then he made his way through the outskirts of the town under cover of darkness. He made his way to a friend's house and he asked him for a lift to his home in Mokla. He told that friend that he'd been in a fight in town and the friend gave evidence to court that he kept asking him, what what happened? Give me the details of the fight. Why didn't you go to the Gardaí? but um, Joseph Pushka didn't want to talk about it. The court was told that he asked for his clothes to be burned when he got home and he got a lift uh, to his parents' house in Dublin in the early hours of the next day. And then the following morning, an ambulance was called to take him to hospital. And we know now that's because he stabbed himself three times in the stomach to make it look like he'd been attacked himself. He then veered from telling a tissue of lies about being attacked in Blanchardstown in West Dublin and knowing nothing about Aislinge to, in fact, making a confession to stabbing her within 24 hours. When he was formally arrested on the 18th of January, he said he couldn't remember anything of that confession. And he largely invoked his right to silence during those formal police interviews at Tullamore Garda Station on the 18th and 19th of January.
3: But he didn't know that Ashlyn had the key piece of evidence. She had scratched him and she had his DNA under her fingernails. Now the chances of that DNA belonging to anybody other than Joseph Pushka or a close relative we heard from the scientists was one in one thousand million.
2: So today, the jury took just 125 minutes to dismiss his story of lies and fantasy. And after the lunch break at 2 p.m., word came back that we had a verdict. Family, lawyers, journalists, members of the public all scrambled back into court. Interestingly, Pushka's own defence counsel, Michael Bowman, was nowhere to be seen. And he didn't attend as the verdict was read. Guilty judge tony hunt then addressed the jury and the court
0: there is evil in this room without a doubt quite literally you made sure that nobody got away with murder thank you for your hard work in this difficult and upsetting case i am glad you did not waste any more of your valuable time on Pushka's nonsense that is no reflection on the people who had to run his defense that's the most difficult job in this court. You can't make bricks without straw. And what Mr. Bowman had in his hands was poor stuff indeed. There will now be a day of reckoning for Pushka.
3: Nicola, Judge Hunt then turned his attention to Ashlin's family. And we know that he'd said at the beginning of this case that court trials were not about the victims often. They have to be about the perpetrator the defendant and what they did or didn't do but he wanted at this point to remember the woman and the family at the heart of this case
0: for the murphy family who find themselves in this case and unfortunately the murphy family are not the only ones the horrors in this place see many people like the murphys through these courts that is the way it has to be how their child was taken away to consider what happened would have to make you physically ill to be quite frank.
3: Nicola, as the jury were given a round of applause by the Murphy family, many of them were in tears.
2: Yeah, and afterwards on the court steps, as Ryan and Cahill spoke with such composure and bravery, the jury were there to support them. In fact, the family had actually invited the jury back into the courtroom before they made the statement. They invited them into the courtroom so that they could thank them properly. And that's something I've never seen before.
3: Yeah, something I've never seen before either, but certainly a, a very poignant and important moment for the family to thank the jury who did their job in this case, as the judge told them that they had. And that's it for this special episode of the podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more from this case.